Are you floating through life or are you living? I think it's very easy and, and, and it's not uncommon and it's no fault of your own. If you find yourself as a school leader, right, just going through the automatic and from task to task, meeting to meeting, putting out fires, like that makes sense. But if you don't pause, if you don't slow down and intentionally design a life that you want to live, before you know it, you're going to blink your eyes and it's actually going to be over. It's tough, but it's true. And I think if you can intentionally carve out time to really wrestle with the deep questions, like what does it mean to live an extraordinary life? I think that actually makes you a better leader. One, it gives you great clarity, a compass for how you show up every single day. But if you accept the challenge I'm about to challenge you with and you communicate your view of what living an excellent life, a life well-lived looks like, if you communicate that to staff, to students, to your community at large, I think you'll inspire them. You'll encourage them. You'll help them get to that next level as well. Lucky for you, uh, Pete Hall is joining us for the third time on the podcast. We're here to talk about another uh, book that he wrote called Always Strive to Be a Better You, How Ordinary People Can Live Extraordinary Lives. And this is a resource that can help you wrestle with life's big questions. I'm happy you're here to listen. Hey, I'm Danny, Chief Ruckus Maker over at Better Leaders, Better Schools, and welcome to the show. The BLBS Podcast is a podcast for ruckus makers, just like you, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these short messages from our show sponsors. Establish your legacy with Harvard Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty as you develop the frameworks, skills, and knowledge you need to drive change improvement in your learning community. School leaders know that productive student talk drives student learning. But the average teacher talks 75% of class time. Give your students more opportunities to learn in class by monitoring the talk time for teachers and students. Check out TeachFX for yourself and learn about our special partnership options for ruckus makers at teachfx.com slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. I think so. I think you're tied now, Pete, with the top person on the podcast um, for three times on the show. So that doesn't. Oh, is this like, does, huh? is this like uh, Steve Martin hosting Saturday Night Live? I'm going to get some kind of jacket at some point when I get to five. <laughs> you might get a jacket. I mean, actually, like, honestly, what I'm into is just like weird little toys. So maybe you'll get like an official weird little toy or potentially, like you know, a ruckus maker water bottle like that we oh, can we're potentially. <laughs> so yeah. Well I'd like to come I'd like to come collect in person. Okay. We'll we'll make that happen. We were talking about that. So uh, I know you, but let me introduce you to the listeners, especially if they're it's their first time to the Better Leaders Better Schools podcast. Pete Hall is a capacity builder driven to impact others' lives in a profoundly positive way. He channels his experiences as a school principal, life coach, and small business owner into manageable lessons for continuous growth, 
personal improvement and positive mindset. Tenacious, courageous, and incorruptible, Pete shares his optimism, joy, and practical application of strategies for getting the most out of yourself. So welcome back again, Pete, to the show. Thanks, Danny. I appreciate that. It's always good to be back and chatting with you. For sure, for sure. So you're back. You have another book. And uh, that's impressive because I consider myself a content machine. And that is you. Like you are pumping out content and books and quality stuff as well at an incredible rate. And so uh, just kudos to you for consistently creating value, you know, for Ruckus Maker Nation, for people that follow your work and that kind of thing. So you're here to talk about the latest book now. Um, I highly recommend that Ruckus Makers listening, pick it up. It's called How Ordinary People Can Live Extraordinary Lives. Excuse me, let me backtrack. Always strive to be a better you. How Ordinary People Can Live Extraordinary Lives by Mistake. Um, And it's a great topic. It's obviously very much in alignment, you know, with who you are as an individual. And this is going to be really fun, really fun to dig into. But before we get to the book, I I have a personal question uh, because, you know, it connects to like, it connects to like mission, right? And and this is about life lessons and like the the bigger questions that we should all be reflecting on, pondering. So I'm curious, like, how would you define your mission? But will you, will you take us to the moment where you think like you really figured that out? Yeah, yeah that's such a great question. First of all, I appreciate that you, you consider yourself a content machine. And I had a glimpse into your schedule earlier today, as a matter of fact. And you are, <laughs> you're, you're booked back to back to back. Of course, you're a content machine. You're always you're doing stuff, man. You're, you're moving and shaking. <laughs> and I'm just trying to keep up, my friend. I'm just trying to keep up. And, oh, but I appreciate that. Uh, you have me on the show talking about the new book and I'm excited about that. You know, the funny thing is uh, you, you kind of hit it when you read my, my little intro that I, I'm a capacity builder. That's, that's kind of my mission is to build capacity in others and to help unlock the capacity that other folks have. And I know that that's a, a metaphor that you appreciate. Uh, the, the idea that we all have greatness within us that needs to somehow be surfaced and needs to somehow be shared is something that totally intrigues me and excites me. So when I'm having conversations with folks, when I'm interacting with people, I'm, I've got, I kind of got this lens that I'm looking through that says, what's great about this person and what can you uncover about this person to allow this person to even just see and notice and acknowledge their own greatness. And the, the moment that that became really clear, you know, I've been in education for a long time. I've, I've coached personal coaching. I've done athletic coaching. I've, I've worked in education as a teacher, as an administrator, et cetera. Uh, it was the year 2011. And that is the year that I turned 40. And I had this, this moment of, well, 40 is kind of a big number, right? I remember when I was a kid, my dad turned 40 and we had a big party and we made t-shirts for him. You know, it was this big celebratory event. So the year that I turned 40, I thought I am going to journal all year, my 40th year, I, and just and just write about you know life and and what I've picked up along the way with the intent to then share it with my my children right so as I journaled and as I wrote these lessons kept popping up that I was experiencing or that I was recalling and it became more than just a handful of things that I want to share with my children it became this this big big idea of are there universal truths that we might be able to share with the masses to help folks live happier, more joyous, more fulfilled, more successful lives. So that was kind of the, 
that was kind of the moment that I thought, oh gosh, it's it's more than just pass it along. It's broadcast, it's spread, it's make a make a big difference. So you had this journal. Uh, how often do you go to back to that? Is journaling still a part of your leadership and personal practice? And then with that one with the milestone, right? Do you do you go back to the journal or journals you have? I've I've kind of dug into that journal off and on, especially as I was working on this new book, Always Strive to Be a Better You. Uh, and the interesting thing is the original journal in 2011 had 52 lessons and that was too much. So as, as I, you know, formatted and, and structured and um, decided on exactly how this was going to be put together, uh, we were able to whittle it down to 13, 13 really key ideas. Um, and I do journal. I journal all the time. I journal um, in a variety of different ways, some online, some um, just handwritten and some through correspondence with others I consider journaling. So I think that's a big part of awakening and unlocking what's going on inside our own heads. Absolutely. Okay. One more nerdy uh, journal question. Cause I'm, I'm fascinated on that topic. Uh, do you have a process? Is it more like, you know, open and you just let the thoughts flow and get capture them or is there prompts or like a format that you seem to follow? It depends. It depends on um, whether I have a clear outcome that I'm searching for or if it's just, I just need to process something or if I just need to write. So, you know, interestingly, you're talking about being a, a content you know, machine. Uh, we actually, we co-published a um, reflective journal for educators. It's called the Teacher's Reflective Impact Journal. And it actually does follow a structure, uh, a weekly structure of engaging in some reflection that is semi-open-ended, but it's structured enough to really orient the journaler towards some kind of identifiable outcome or goal or learning or growth or something at the end of each week. So I, I kind of default to that process as much as possible. All right, cool. So I'll look up a link for, uh, you said the Teacher's Reflective Impact Journal. Was that right? Yeah, and that's published by McRell. So at McRell.org. Cool. You can find that. Are you, are you a journaler, Danny? Oh uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a, that's a daily, a morning and a evening process. The morning one, you know, it's like a lot of gratitude and intention for my life, uh, that kind of thing. And the evening journal, I learned from this guy, uh, that coaches executives at Google, his name's David Peterson. And, uh, he, he does a lot of work with uh, the world business executive coaching summit too. So I, I don't know if you've come across his work at all. Yeah. But he, he has a format for the end of the day routine and it just takes five minutes and it's, it's incredibly powerful. So let me just share it, you know, if you don't mind really quick with the Rogers maker listening, but basically just ask yourself each evening, right? What's something new I tried today, right? Cause we always want to be growing and experimenting and that kind of stuff. Uh, similarly, what is something that I learned today? right? Because uh, especially as a ruckus maker in a learning organization, you better be learning something, you know, every single day. Uh, what worked for me today? What didn't work for me today? So that's the uh, third and fourth question. And the last one is basically, if, if I didn't like some result that happened, what am I going to do different tomorrow, right? Because we have ownership. There's a lot of things that are in our control, a lot of things that aren't, but the more you're going to, you're going to start to see trends, right? And then what I'll, yeah. what I'll see is like, okay, if I've committed to meditation or running or whatever that is, and I see I've been lazy for a few days, it's like tomorrow, you better believe I'm getting my lazy butt out there and making it happen. And then, you know, the, the larger thing is I actually score myself the next day on my big three, right? Like the big three. And that's the last journal question. What are my big three things 
that I'm going to accomplish tomorrow aligned to my goals for the quarter. And I either get a zero, three, one for three, two for three, three for three. And that's my process. Nice. Nice. So let me, let me, um, invite you to, you know, consider a way to even augment that process. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's take one thing, something that did not go well that you'd like to to change and fix for next time. Right. And we would, and there's actually a a weekly theme in that teacher's reflective impact journal called a yikes week where (laughs) if, if something, if something doesn't go well and you know, you could take it outside the classroom, of course, or outside the office. It could be in any element of your life, something that did not go the way you wanted it to go. So the first question is, what didn't go the way you wanted it to go? You know, explain the situation, be clear on what's going on. And journaling is the great synthesizer, right? So when you write something down, you're synthesizing your thoughts. It's transferring all the way into whether you're typing or writing. So you really got to, as you're journaling and just jotting down the notes about the story of the situation, it's becoming clear in your head exactly what happened. Yeah. So then the, the next question is, uh, what do you want, right? right? What do you want? What are you willing to do? Or uh, how are you going to address making that happen? The question really that you want to be asking is, what, of, what decisions did I make? What behaviors did I engage in? Uh, what strategies did I employ that were unsuccessful and why were they unsuccessful? And that mm-hmm. in really unpacking the explicit connection between what you decided, what you did, and then what happened as a result. Because mm-hmm. so often in our lives, like you're mentioning controllables and uncontrollables, there the interesting thing is so many things happen in our lives that we just say, oh, that happened. And mm-hmm. we don't really connect with whether or not our choices, our behaviors, our actions directly caused or impacted that outcome. And if we can make that causative connection, that's the only time we can make an intentional step towards impacting and changing the outcomes. Because otherwise, it's just something that happened and it didn't have anything to do with us. So there's nothing we could do about it in the future. But if we do realize that, well, I said this, or I did this, or I did it in this order, and that's why this happened. As soon as you realize that, then you can make a change to affect the outcomes next go around. Mm-hmm. Would a simple example be like, let's just use the running example. And, and I'm back on, I'm back on track, but there was a, a period. I saw, you were, I saw you were climbing through caves recently. Well, yeah. <laughs> so what, I think it's because of warm weather. Right. And so, and then, <laughs> and then here, like it's, it's warmer back in upstate. So the, the lazy time happened when it was super cold. Right. Sure. And there's just too much snow, but, but it really doesn't have to be an excuse. So, I mean, using your model, would it be like the decision that I prioritize work or you saw my schedule, like my run today is uh, at the end of the day, like 4.30 or when I'm logging off and that's when me and you see the pup, Alba, we're going to go for a three, at least a three mile run. Uh, mm-hmm. But would, would one of the decisions and like the causal thing that you're talking about would just be that, hey, prioritize work back to back to back and didn't fit it in or, you know, does that make sense or is it, is it something else? It does. And, you know, time management is really just a, an exercise in priority management. That's all it yeah. really is. And, you know, one of the things that uh, can really sting is when you can ask yourself this question. <laughs> oh, and that's, yeah. so, instead of saying, oh, I didn't have time to run today. Yeah. You just look yourself in the mirror and say, I did not make running a priority today. Yeah, and it could really right. sting if you said, I did not make my own physical health a priority today. Yep. And when you say something like that, that you got you to gotta feel that for a moment. 
Right. And yeah. then you realize, okay, so tomorrow, so help me. Like you said, I'm getting back on that train. I'm going to run again. I'm going to climb in those caves. I'm going to get on my bike. I'm going to do those things that I know are good for me. And I'm truly yeah. committed. To. Yeah. yeah. And it's okay to, it's okay to take a day off. It's okay to, to screw up and make a mistake. As long as you're willing to feel that mistake and mm-hmm. then rededicate yourself towards moving forward. Sure. Yeah, you definitely, you need to recover, recuperate. That's important, especially for top performers. And last thing I'll say to be vulnerable, and then let's talk about the book. But uh, I realized that I was prioritizing and in, in really uh, excelling in business or better leaders, better schools. And I wasn't bringing that same kind of energy to my relationship with my wife, to be honest. And so one of the things that we um, uh, co-authored and agreed on is Let's just have like, maybe it seems weird, but we're going to literally put on the calendar every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, a nine o'clock family meeting where we just check in with each other, talk about things that just need to happen. Because it was almost like we were two ships, you know, passing in the night, as they say. And uh, sure. and I was really disappointed. That was a mirror moment that I didn't bring the same kind of energy. But then the change was the family meeting and it's really helped course correct for sure. Wow, that's really, really helped. And it's not a surprise either, because so often we tend to have our established relationships and then we take them for granted. We'd say, okay, well, that's good. Moving on. Whereas your work is tenuous, right? I mean, it's it's in your face about if you don't get something done, Danny, there's no check coming. That's, (laughs) I don't think that's different. So, you know, yeah, kudos to you for doing that. And um, I hope that's going well. I imagine it probably is. Thank you. You are right. It is. All right. So always strive to be a better you, how ordinary people can live extraordinary lives. Uh, what's cool about this book is that it has stories of regular human beings. Not necess- They might do superhero type stuff, but they're not like LeBron James. You know what I mean? Like we can relate. I could see myself in those people. And so what does it mean to you, Pete, to live an extraordinary life? How do you define that? Well, I, th- I think we look at, at two, at three things and, you know, it's based on Plato and Plato's big question, which is how do we live a happy, good, virtuous life? So we're looking at happiness, goodness, and virtuosity, right? And, and by the way, when we're talking about ordinary people and I intentionally selected these seven folks because they are just regular, just regular folks with regular person DNA and they are living happy good, virtuous lives by pretty much all measure. And so as we, as we look at those things, happiness is something that is defined at a personal level. And that's something that's really important. That's a theme that comes up throughout the book is that happiness is your own to determine. Uh, Goodness and the goodness of your life and the quality of your life is also yours to define. And then virtue is interesting because it's a term that has changed over the centuries. Um, and, And we kind of now equate it to morality. And and there is no universal set of right and wrong or good and bad. What Plato was referring to when he talked about virtue or asked about virtue is really the idea of excellence, of learning and getting better at things. So getting like you're being vulnerable a minute ago, getting better at your relationship, getting better at your curating your physical vessel that you've got and making sure that you're exercising, getting better at uh, producing content, getting better at having a great sense of humor, getting better at whatever it might be. And so when we're talking about happiness, goodness, and virtue, that that virtue part is really that pursuit of 
betterment, the pursuit of excellence. And I refer to it in the book as the pursuit of her. So better, faster, stronger, you know, humbler, whatever it might be that has that little er at the end of it, which is what all seven of the subjects that I profile in the book pursue vigorously is just improvement, continuous improvement. And you talk about the seven subjects. Where, where did you find these people? Well, you know, um, I read a book uh, by Stephen King. It's called On Writing. And uh, in that, one of the, the big lessons that he kind of shared is we write about what we know. So these seven people are people that I know. I have known them for a combined, I think it's 138 years. And that doesn't mean I'm 138 years old, Dan. It just means that combined. That's a, so some of them I've known for over 40 years and some of them I've known for, I think, uh, Matt, Chelsea, Derek are all around the 11 year mark. And so they're, they're just people I've encountered. And just like you, I encounter hundreds and thousands of people a year and interact with a lot of different people. So I have the opportunity to kind of, you know, meet them, get to know them, you know, gauge how they're doing, have conversations with them, find out what drives them. And these seven just stood out. And I could have picked, you know, any of dozens, if not hundreds of other people that have very similar characteristics and very, very similar qualities. Uh, these seven just stood out as, as folks who have taken certain situations in their life, whatever their life might have been and made it and created and built this successful, happy, virtuous life. It's, it's really kind of cool. And then to be featured in the book, was it like, Hey, a text, a call, an email, like, I'd love to tell your story. Uh, tell us that, like, how did you, you yeah. your relationship well, with the people, but yeah, how'd they get involved? Yeah, well, each one kind of came up uh, in its own little way. And as you can imagine, all relationships are unique. Uh, and as I just continued to interact with folks, and I mentioned uh, a little bit ago that idea of my journaling in my 40th year and kind of this idea. And then I started to think about the people in my life who are truly exceptional that I might be able to learn from. And these seven kind of rose to the top. And one by one, I just either asked them in person or on the phone or tech. I don't I don't think any of them were texts. It was uh, on the phone or in person. Just said, hey, you know, I'm working on this project. I would love for you to be one of the, the people. And all seven, you know, jumped on board. And not because they just felt like, oh, I've got so much to offer. It's more, <laughs> more of a, you know, this, this way of I would love to learn from the other sticks as well. And that's, and that's part of this pursuit of her is that mm. none of the seven believes that they're these amazing people. And all of them said, are you sure you want to include me? I mean, I'd love to learn from the other six and I'm honored to be a part of it, but I don't know if I'm, you know, what do I have to offer? And that's, that's part of just what makes these seven people so incredible. Yeah, I think so. So, okay. The seven, you know, you have educators, you have non-educators, uh, maybe just for the ruckus maker listening. Could you, could you highlight one of those educators and tell a bit of their story? And then maybe one of the non-educators too that made it into the book. Sure. So uh, one of the educators is Tammy. And Tammy grew up uh, very poor in Louisiana and was basically told what she could or could not do in her life as she was growing up. And she looked at herself in the mirror and went to school and had teachers who said, you know, Tammy, you could really be something. And between her experience with educators and her own belief in herself and her ability to do amazing, incredible things, she has been able to rise um, all the way through her career and, and recently retired from the school superintendency as the state of Washington, one of the 
top superintendents in the state of Washington. And, and she's been absolutely incredible. And, and some of the lessons that she's, she's one of the key lessons that she shares is about selective amnesia. So, you know, in her role as an educator, you're going to make mistakes. And as a superintendent, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to be attacked. And she said, you, you can't take those personally. You can't live with them and take them home with you every night. You have to identify which ones you're going to reflect on and improve and which ones you have to just dismiss and move on. And that is a really, really healthy way to go through life in which we, you know, we all make mistakes, right? So Tammy's one of our, our two educators in the, in the crew uh, of the, let's see, of the, of the other five, I think I would highlight Jennifer. And Jennifer is a um, head women's basketball coach at a college in California at UC Davis. And she's somebody who has just lived a life that is completely in alignment with her core values. And so she's, she's made her way. She, she was a basketball player in college and she now is the head coach of the women's basketball team. And she has such an amazing approach at how her, her mission is not to win games. That's a byproduct of what she does. Her mission is to develop the young women on her basketball team and to create this sense of community and to impact the way those young women are then going to go out into the world and be employees and be partners and be community members and be neighbors and bosses and whatever it is that they go and do and do incredible work. She considers that her legacy as the coach, what incredible things her players do. It's just, it's just so neat to explore their stories and be able to extract their lessons and share their lessons with folks. So man, there's 13, 13 big lessons in there come from those yeah. seven people. And we're going to get to those uh, 13 lessons. So Pete, I think this is a good spot. We'll, we'll pause here just for quick messages from our sponsors. When we get back, you know, the 13 lessons are organized around four tenants. So let's talk about those. And uh, I think we'll highlight at least two of the 13 lessons for the ruckus maker listening. Learn the framework, skills, and knowledge you need to drive change improvement in your learning community with Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership, a joint collaboration between the Harvard Graduate School of Education and Harvard Business School. Connect and collaborate with fellow school leaders as you address your problems of practice in our online professional development program. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Hey, Ruckus Maker. TeachFX has been an incredible sponsor over the years, and they do great work helping educators be mindful and reflective about how their talk, right, and how much talk they have in a classroom impacts student learning. Now, don't just take it from me that TeachFX is awesome, and it surely is, but check out what some real educators have to say about using TeachFX in the classroom. What I love about TeachFX is it lets me see how myself and my students are interacting. Who's doing all the talking? Is it me or are they interacting with each other? It lets me see a snapshot of what's happening in my classroom so that I can improve what I'm doing. You know, when you have the ability to see the question you asked and hear the responses and it's that immediate feedback right there from TeachFX, it allows for teachers to really dive into their instruction. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. 
During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with uh, Pete Hall, who has another book out. It's called Always Strive to Be a Better You, How Ordinary People Can Live Extraordinary Lives. And before the break, uh, we talked a lot about the process. We talked about living an extraordinary life, uh, Pete's mission, and and all of this. And now uh, I promised that we would dig into the four tenets of the book, um, because the 13 lessons are organized into those four tenets. And then we'll highlight, you know, at least two of those life lessons that that you write about in your book. So can you uh, give us a, a quick preview of those four tenets, please? Yeah, so the first one is know thyself. So know yourself. Everything about our lives starts from the examination of, well, who are we as human beings? Uh, what do we believe in? What are our core values? And that's, that's where everything starts. The second the second tenet is about work for love. So what, whether we're working on our relationships, whether we're working and going to our job, whether we're working on improving ourselves in one way or another, connect that somehow to love and, and joy and passion around what we do. Uh, the third is bringing your own energy. And so often we wait for someone else to bring the energy or we enter a room and there's low energy and we're like, oh, okay, this is a low energy room. And it just continues to be a low energy room, even though you're in there. And it's, we have to bring that ourselves. And then the fourth is to rule the day. And you've heard of carpe diem, uh, seize the day. This is imperadium, which is rule the day, which really just kind of gives you that boost of confidence, that little pep talk to go and do it. Because that's the hardest part of the journey is taking the next step. It doesn't matter if it's, the, it's not necessarily the first step. That's right. It's the next, it was whatever the next step is. So we explore those, those concepts uh, and we weave the 13 lessons throughout. And then the seven characters, the seven subjects in the book make appearances in multiple chapters. So when we have a, a particular life lesson, I know you want to explore a couple of those. Um, we may have two, three, four different subjects share their approach and their philosophy and their stories in each one. So that's kind of the overview of what we're looking at. Cool. And let's look at uh, one of the the life lessons. Um, I picked this one because it reminds me of uh, at least the phrasing, right? The phrasing um, purple cow uh, inspires curiosity, right? And intrigue. And you have a chapter that's called Seek out your antelopes. Yeah. I know nothing about antelopes, right? So this is this is very interesting to me. And so what's seeking out your antelopes all about? Well, first of all, most people don't know much about purple cows. <laughs> I've never seen a purple cow. I never hope to see one, but I can tell you anyhow, I'd rather see than be one. <laughs> That's true. No, I think you'd want to be one too, to be honest. Okay. To be honest, I think you would. The, the quick story, right? I, I lived, this comes from Seth Godin, but I lived in uh, Chicago, Chicago. Went to school down at U of I, driving uh, two and a half hours south, I-57, right? Like there's, there's a, it, it goes from the sprawling urban, you know, landscape of Chicago to very rural. So lots of farms, soybeans, wheat, corn, and cows, 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 brown and white, black and white. That's what they all are. You never see a purple cow. But yeah. if I saw one, the second I got on campus at U of I, I'd pick, well, I'd tell all my friends, right? I'd pick up the phone. I'd call my mom. 
call my sister. I'd say, can you believe I saw a purple cow? So that just illustrates, right? Like if you can create things that are purple cow-ish, then it becomes remarkable, right? And it's an idea that spreads by word of mouth. So that's what that one's all about. But tell us, tell us about the antelopes. Yeah, well, it's kind of like what you're talking about. It's kind of like when Robin Williams jumped up on the desk, you know, and did both. Uh, that kind of thing gets your attention. It's different. Sure it's does. novel, and it's exciting. And yes. you're 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 all in. Your your senses are heightened, and you're paying good attention. You bet. So seeking out your antelopes had to do. It's a story that was shared uh, by Matt, and Matt is one of the seven subjects in our story. And he talks about how important it is to travel this journey with others mm-hmm. that life is hard by yourself. And, yeah. you know, antelopes crossing the Serengeti with all the other animal, all the other wildlife in their annual trek, that's a treacherous trek for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. And when you are with your herd, when you are together, you can, you can be safe. You can be pulled back on track when you start to stray and you're much more likely to survive and thrive in that journey when you're together. And, and that was a lead in to the idea of being really clear about your inner circle. So who are the people that have the greatest influence on your life? Who are the people that you trust and listen to and seek yeah. advice from? Um, and your, your herd of antelopes. Um, and it's a kind of an interesting metaphor because if you think about it, you kind of get lost in a herd, right? The herd is so large and so massive. That's why you're safe. But it's the lead in to that, that idea of who are, who's your team? Mm-hmm. Who, are, who are your cheerleaders? Who are your people, right? And it's usually, it's going to be a really small inner circle. And yeah. what has also come up from this idea is the, is the notion that you can't just allow your inner circle to be created just by happenstance. So whoever you happen to be around, you know, whoever you happen to work most closely with, or whoever happens to be your next door neighbor, this is something that we're going to want to curate. We want to be intentional yeah. about who we allow in, right? And who we're, when those big life moments come up, who do we call? And when those not so big life moments, who do we call? Because if you're seeking good advice for your life and you want feedback and you need a shoulder to cry on or whatever it is, you want it to be the right person that's providing that for you. And you know someone who's truly in it for you to, to support and encourage and motivate you. So that that lesson, I think, was really, really powerful. I know something that you've worked on as well in your projects is curating that that inner circle, that <laughs> that really um, that tight team. And that's not a brand new idea by any means. Mm-hmm. It's just really interesting to think about how intentional we have to be about it. I mean, you, I could ask you about your inner circle and how intentionally you curate and tend to that inner circle, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's a big reason uh for my success is because you don't, you don't see that, right? That inner circle is not here on the call with us recording the podcast, but they, but they are, you know, because we are consistently communicating and connecting and uh, everything that's going on in my life, right? They're, they're get that's a filter, you know, in terms of making decisions and uh, trying to maximize and, and live a powerful life like this book is all about. So yeah, that's, that's super important. Yeah. So let's get to the, to the one more lesson before we end here. And uh, I'm all about powerful reframes. So this, this, uh, this title certainly uh, caught my interest too. So um, you have a chapter, embrace disequilibrium and then reframe it. Like what a tool. Because what I find in this last thing I'll say, um, you know, you have a coin, right? Heads and tails. And usually, you know, you might have some experience in life 
you might find it very scary or like, oh, I really don't want to do this and that kind of thing. And that's one way to view it. But if you just flip that coin, actually, and you, you find the courage within yourself to go for it and go on the adventure or take the leap, so to speak, that's a, a core value of mine. Uh, it's actually the same thing. You know, you're looking at the same event, but you could have fear or excitement, you know, this, and that's a reframe. So anyways, embracing this equilibrium, tell us about that. (laughs) Well, you know, we all experience disequilibrium in our lives. We're all at a place where we're unsettled by something that's happening. uh, A situation we find ourselves in that maybe is unpleasant or it's exactly the opposite of what we wanted it to be or whatever it might be. And the big idea here is embrace that feeling of being unsettled, that this is not what I wanted. This, this doesn't feel good. It's uncomfortable. I'm, I'm really nervous, uh, whatever it might be. And sit with that feeling and acknowledge that feeling and understand emotionally what that means for you. And when you're ready, and this is, you know, the idea about flipping the coin, uh, you can't just flip the coin immediately. And you know this, right? You have, you have to be at a point where you're ready and, and intentionally flip the coin. So when you're ready and emotionally ready, that's when you flip the coin and say, okay, so what could I learn from this? So what are my opportunities here? What is, what is the lesson I'm learning from this? Or how might this be a test for me that I can, you know, somehow move forward as a result. And there, I have uh, several different stories in the, in the book from our, our subjects um, about this idea. So one had to do with Andre who was doing, you know, physical labor toiling in the, in the fields as a young, as a young man and just unbearable heat and unbearable work. And at some point his, his uncle asked him, you know, what's the, what's the reward for this? And it really caused him to stop and think about, well, what am I getting from this? Because all he had been focused on is how much this sucks and how much he hates this. And I don't want to be out here doing this work in this hot, in this heat. And I'm not getting it. I'm not getting paid for this. And it turned out that there was, there's a lesson in your personal development that comes from going through toil and hardship, right? Another is a story, and it's a, it's a really dramatic story about Derek, who is one of the seven subjects in the book, who's a professional athlete. Now he's in real, uh, real estate and he had been diagnosed with testicular cancer. And that's one that, you know, you hear that word and all of a sudden everything in your life goes blurry and it takes a, a while for it to come back into focus. And at, at some point he, when he was ready with that disequilibrium, he said, all right. And he said, he, he metaphorically walked up to cancer and says, hello, cancer, I'm Derek and I'm here to kick your ass. And he was able to just flip that disequilibrium. And it's not like we can all conquer every single demon that we face, but he was willing to try. He was willing to take it on, you know, head on. So it's just an, an interesting, interesting idea of, you know, those, those moments. And it could be a big moment like it was for Derek. It could be a, a smaller moment like it was for Andre. It could be the moment where you're, you're sitting in your car and you're late for a meeting and you're thinking, I'm going to miss the meeting or the job interview. I'm, I'm not going to make it. And how are you going to do with that? How are you going to, how are you going to respond to that? What are, you have some options, right? So emotionally, you have some options. And then pragmatically, you have some options as far as how you're going to handle that. And those are, those are controllable. Those are up to us, which is really kind of cool. And a really important skill set to have as a school leader, because you're going to, you're going to hit these moments a lot, right? And so, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. 
that's that's definitely a chapter to check out. Um, again, I, you know, I, I highly recommend you pick up the book, Always Strive to Be a Better You, How Ordinary People Can Live Extraordinary Lives. And as always, Pete, we covered a lot of ground. So at the end of the show here, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker listening to remember? I think that uh, the most important thing for us to remember is that we're dealing with human beings. Mm. And, and I think that so often we get stuck in compartmentalizing our thoughts and our emotions and, and putting people in the boxes and then start thinking about our kids, our staff, our community in, in terms of numbers, in terms of quantities, in terms of metrics, as opposed to the one thing that is so difficult to define, which is who are we as human beings? And if we remember that our, our job is to build capacity in kids and grownups in communities and societies and parents and families in ourselves, then I think we'll be really, really successful no matter what we take on and no matter what initiatives we have uh, on our plates. And I know there's a lot of initiatives on our plates in education. And just remember the human element would be my one takeaway, my big piece of advice. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Dismissed.